0: So again, Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. For many, this weekend is all about recreation and relaxation. Many people view Memorial Day as somewhat synonymous with Labor Day. It's all about just getting a nice good day off from work, well deserved day off from work. But that's not really what Memorial Day is all about, is it? As the name suggests, it's a day to remember, to memorialize or to commemorate something or Someone, many someones, in fact. This weekend we remember all the men and women who gave their lives as a part of their military service so that you and I can do all of those things, enjoy all of those freedoms this weekend. Enjoy all the freedoms that we so often regularly enjoy and often regularly take for granted. Like freedoms like coming to church on Sunday without fear of persecution. Now there's nothing wrong with getting together with your family or getting together with your friends on Memorial Day and eating a whole bunch of hot dogs and then sleeping off in a hammock afterwards or going fishing or any of those things. No, I think celebrating our freedoms is a great way to remember those who have fought for them. The men and women of our armed forces who died gave their lives so that we might live free. The truth is they paid for our freedom with their lives. And so a common phrase that is often said on Memorial Day weekend is freedom is not free. you Have heard that phrase before? But I think we can take that sentiment a step further and say nothing is truly free. Let me give you a for instance this morning. Many times here at Hope you've probably seen we have a table or a shelf that has the word free on it. Now the stuff that's on that shelf for, for some of you probably like... Yes, I can grab that. Others of you look at it and say, oh, it's a bunch of junk. But regardless, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we pulled out of a cabinet or we pulled out of a closet that was either left here at church or, or donated to the church and at some point maybe was useful for the church, like that, that nice overhead projector with those transparencies or, or that rotary phone or all those hymnal books. If you don't know what those things are, ask your parents. Okay? But we have those, and we put them on the shelf for free. They're free for the taking. We just want to get rid of them. Imagine then this morning, as you came down to the fellowship hall after the service, you saw the shelf, and it said free on it, and you looked over the items. There, there are books and, and knickknacks and, and clothes, and you look, and, and then there's something that caught your eye. So I'm just going to represent our shelf here this morning. Okay. You look in there, and you see a nice pair of work gloves. And you looked at those work gloves and you said, I could use those this weekend. I have a whole bunch of weeds to pull and these would come in handy. Or I bet these things would really protect me from that brown tail moth rash that Pastor Travis has all over his arms this morning. So I'm going to take those. Or, you know what, these things would go really well with my prom dress. Or whatever it is that you would want to use them for. And so you grab them and you take them because they are Say it with me. Free. free. But my point this morning is that they're not really free. In fact, at some point, someone paid for them. Someone bought them from a store, or someone ordered them online, and then donated them to the church. At some point, someone in a factory somewhere built a machine, paid the labor for someone to stitch these together, and then packaged them, and then sent them out so that they could be given to the church, so that they could be given to you. Get the idea? Everything costs something. I'm going to set these gloves right here, and I promise we're going to come back to them in a little while. Remind me if we don't. And the message today, we will talk about that idea that that nothing is truly free, and that is true as well concerning our own personal salvation. We've been talking this entire year about our salvation, about how we are saved from something, and how we are saved for something. Saved from our sins, and saved from the consequences of our sins, and saved for a purpose. Specifically, how we live our lives in relation to God, because we have been forgiven and saved from our sins and today will be no different as we look at Titus 2 we're going to talk about those same things that we've been saved from something and we've been saved for something and as we look at our passage today and as we talk about our salvation I want to focus on one word that we see in our passage so if you could open your Bibles back open to Titus 2 and I'd encourage you to leave them open the whole time I want you to look at verse 11 the first verse that we're doing And in that verse, I want you to look at the third word, Titus 2.11, and the third word. And once you get there and once you found it, shout out, what's that third word? Grace. Grace. Okay. Unless you have some obscure uh, version of the Bible, almost every single version of the Bible, that's the third word of Titus 2.11, grace. What is grace? We talk a lot about grace in the church. We sing a lot about grace in the church, and we do that because the Bible talks a lot about grace. In fact, the New Testament says the word grace 130 times. In our book of Titus, grace is mentioned in all three of the chapters. So what is it that Paul and the other writers in the New Testament are referring to when they reference God's grace? Well, let me give you a definition this morning so that we are on the same page as we go through and we talk about grace throughout the message this morning. We could rightly define biblical grace as an undeserved free gift. There's our word free again. Undeserved free gift. So if our salvation is entirely based on God's grace, then our salvation is undeserved and our salvation is free. It's not because of something that we've done. It's not that we've weighed our good versus our bad, or or that we've measured to make sure that we've given enough money, or that we've prayed enough times, or that we've read through the Bible from cover to cover, or that we've helped enough old ladies to cross the street, or we've gone to church enough Sundays. All those things are good. But that is not what our salvation is based upon. It is based entirely upon what was our word? Grace. It's only through grace an undeserved free gift from God. One of the most well-known passages in the New Testament talks about the relationship between salvation and grace. It's in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, and I have that on your outline this morning, but it says this here, "...for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." Let me read that again one more time. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, our salvation is completely based on God's grace. Not partially based on God's grace. Not mostly based on God's grace. 100% of our salvation is based on the grace of God. It is entirely a free, undeserved gift from God to us. But here's the thing. If salvation is a free gift to us, if it is fully God's grace, then what about the statement that I said a minute ago that nothing is truly free? These things seem to contradict each other, don't they? Nothing is truly free, including grace. Somebody had to pay for it, and we'll get to that in a second. The message today, I want to focus on grace, and I want to focus on three things that grace does for us. So if you would take out your sermon outline, if you haven't already, it's on the back of your bulletin. It's on our website under the online bulletin there, uh, hbcmanchester.org. And keep your Bibles open to Titus 2. And I want to look back there to chapter 2 and verse 11 right now. It says there, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That sounds similar to what we read in Ephesians. Grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. We see in that verse, the first thing that grace does for us, grace redeems. Grace redeems. This is where we get to the fact that nothing, including grace, is truly free. We see in that verse, in verse 11, that salvation was made available to people. I want to ask you, which, which people are we talking about? Which group of people is grace available to? All people. See it in the verse? How many people? All people. Which, which race of people? All races. What age of people are we talking about? All ages. Which gender of people are the recipients of God's grace? Male and female. Which group of sinners get God's grace? Each and every person. No matter what their past is, no matter where they are from, or what they look like, or what sins they have committed. Is there a sin that is too great for God to send his grace for those people? No. God's grace has appeared bringing salvation for all people. His salvation is available to each and every person who would receive it. That's what the most famous verse in the New Testament says, John 3:16. For God so loved the world. Now that verse is not saying God so loved the planet, saying he so loved all of the people of the world. Not just the men of the world, not just the white people, not just the westernized people, not just the Jews, not just the adults, not just the devout religious people, all people. He loved them all so much that he gave his son, and that's what Paul's talking about in Titus 2.11 when he says the grace of God has appeared. When did it appear? When Christ came. When Jesus came. When Jesus died, God's grace was seen For all people. God's grace was made available for all people, and it is available to all who would believe it and receive it, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's grace. And that grace, that that eternal life, is a free gift to all people who would believe it and who would receive it, but it's not truly free. Someone had to pay for it. And who was that someone? Yeah. That's the good Sunday school answer. Just say Jesus, you're probably going to be right most of the time. But it's right this time. That payment is Jesus' death on the cross in our place. Look back in our passage in Titus 2 at the end of verse 13. It says there, our Savior... Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. There's our word, redeem. To redeem means to pay the price for something. So our salvation, though it is freely offered to us, is not truly free. It costs something. It costs death. Death is the payment for our lawlessness. Death is the cost of our sinfulness. And God's grace is seen in that Jesus took that payment. He took that cost. He paid that debt. Grace redeemed. All right, as promised, I'm going to come back to our work gloves this morning. Some of you looked really excited that I was... Not really. Okay, so it's exciting, work gloves, no? Okay, yeah. All right, so... If if I use these work gloves as an illustration this morning as to the some things are free right so we had they're on the free table okay and they're free for anyone who wants them and all they would have to do then is what just take them right they're free they're there all you have to do is take them but if this is an illustration to 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 illustrate God's salvation would you need to come up to get them who does all the work God does all the work. All we need to do is just reach out and take it, right? So if we have these work gloves, God does the work get the rest of the gloves right all paid for. free any strings of cash no. no strings attached. completely paid for completely forgiven and, and what does she have to do now is there anything she has to do now just just have them just hang on to it Just keep it. That's what happens with with our salvation. Now, if you've never received God's free gift of salvation, I've said this before, what are you waiting for? It's not because it's not available to you. It's available to everyone. God's grace has appeared bringing salvation to all people. That includes me. That includes you. That includes Everyone watching on the live stream this morning. All you need to do is receive it. God does all the work. God did all the work. Just receive it. Receive it today because tomorrow is not guaranteed. But listen, the great thing about God's grace and the great thing about God's free gift of salvation is it's more than just getting a free gift of salvation that forgives us of our sins and pays for our sins. Grace gives us then the power to fulfill our purpose. So those gloves that I just gave to be, they have a purpose. Not to just sit there in her hands. I said, said, what do we do with them now? And someone said, use it. It's right. Grace gives us the power to fulfill our purpose. That's what we've been focusing on this whole year. That we have been saved for a purpose and that's what we see in our passage in verse 12. So look back there with me if you would. Let's read verse 11 again. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So we see in that verse, the second thing that grace does for us. Grace reforms. Grace reforms. So God's grace not only gives us the freedom from our sins, it also gives us the power to turn away from them. Grace not only saves us, it gives us the ability and the drive to literally become more like the God who saved us. The word that Paul uses to describe our relationship with our sins after our salvation, after we accepted God's gracious salvation, is the word renounce. It means that that after salvation we're we're not only forgiven and freed of our sins we also reject them. We reject any present sins. We reject any future sinful actions in our lives. We forsake sins. We turn our back on it. If sin is over here we run in the opposite direction. I want no part of that. I'm going to leave it behind me. And, And that's exactly what the biblical word repentance means. We do a 180. If sin's over here, I turn away and go in the opposite direction. Opposite from the sinful self that I used to be. Toward a life that is self controlled, upright, and godly. So we renounce what? Ungodliness and worldly passions, it says in our passage. We reject anything that is worldly and we run towards what is godly. Romans 8, the Apostle Paul describes that reformation or that repentant-driven change in our lives this way. He said, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In other words, grace not only points us to Jesus, and calls us to know Jesus, but also transforms us so that we will be like Jesus. Now, what does that transformation look like? Verse 12 says that the things we are to renounce, again, are ungodliness and worldly passions. Anything that is contrary to godly actions and a heavenly mindset. How do we do that? In order to be godly, in order to become godly, we need to first have an unchanging, constant standard of what is godly. We need an enduring measure of what is right and wrong, what is moral and immoral, to base our attitudes and to base our actions upon. And that's what God's word is. It is unchanging, and this is our, our measure of right and wrong. In his sermon last week, Pastor Glenn said that we need to be careful that we don't get so caught up in the culture that we live in that we start cutting out parts of this to match the culture that we live in. This is what we base our lives on, not the culture that we live in. We can't do that. We can't say, hey, you know, this was once good. But there's things now that we know better, and we've got to change this to be like what we now know. That's dangerous. When we base our morality on our culture, it's dangerous. If we go with our culture, then we will just be pushed, the Bible says, blown and tossed by the waves, towards the next wave of, of culturally acceptable Immorality. Today we might say that something is wrong or repulsive or disgusting, but if we don't have an unchanging standard of morality, the actions that today would be viewed as wrong can soon become tolerated and then accepted and then celebrated and then expected. But God's grace reforms us from that kind of thinking. God's grace reforms us from not only participating in those sinful actions, but, but also in celebrating them in other people's lives, even if they are, genuinely, are generally and widely accepted by our culture. So when our culture says sexually immoral actions are not only acceptable, but they should be encouraged and, and celebrated even to our children, we who are full of God's grace renounce that as ungodly and worldly when our culture says that infanticide is totally respectable choice for those who don't, for whatever reason, want their children, we who are full of God's grace renounce that as ungodly and worldly. When our culture says that drunkenness or drug use is just a bit of Friday night fun, we who are full of God's grace renounce that as ungodly and worldly. When our culture says that movies that, that are full of swearing and nudity and sexuality, are, they're harmless, they're, they're humorous. We who are full of God's grace reject that as ungodly and worldly. I could go on forever with things that are culturally acceptable but are listed in the Bible as disgusting and sinful, immoral. God's grace reforms us to be like Christ, to think like Christ. God's grace allows us to, to change and, and run away from the wrong kind of thinking toward lives that are self-controlled and upright and godly even when the entire culture is sprinting toward immorality. But listen, the point that I want to make here and a point that I think the passage is making here is we live godly lives Not because we work really hard to get better. Or because we, unlike those people over there, have our act together. No. It is God that does the reforming. Just like it is God who did the redeeming. Look back to verse 13 again. Our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Where did the transformation come from? Where did the change come from to be pure and, and holy and zealous to do good? Who did the reforming? It was Jesus. Again, that's the same answer. It was Jesus who did it. Let me talk again. I got some more gloves in here. Only these ones look a little more, a little more tattered. Okay? So, but we, so I want you to imagine this morning that you, when you came down to the table, saw those gloves sitting there, and you thought, oh, this Memorial Day weekend, I have a whole bunch of work to get done. These gloves are the same kind that we used when we did the roadside cleanup. Maybe you're like, I got some wood to stack, or I got some weeds to pull, or I got some, some leaves to rake, or whatever, but you saw those gloves and you said, those would be perfect for that job that I'm going to try to get done tomorrow. And so you walked over to the gloves and you're like, all right, work gloves. I'm so excited that I found you. Get to work. It's in your name, work gloves, get working. And no matter how much you yelled at those gloves, let's go. Or no matter how much you try to encourage them, come on, I believe in you gloves. You can do it, buddy. No matter how many uh, other gloves you try to, let's have some glove fellowship work day here going on. It's actually the right hand of fellowship. No? No matter how many gloves you threw at them to say, help them, let's go. They did not get the job done. Can you believe it? What did the gloves need? They needed someone to put their hand inside them. Okay? And then suddenly, what happened? There was a transformation. And, and the gloves, even though they are totally worn and tattered and, and disgusting looking, okay, they still are able to do great things because of the power of the hand that is inside them. And that's exactly what happens with us. No matter what our past is, no matter what we look like, no matter what sin we have, once we get the Holy Spirit inside us, God's grace fills us, we are able to do Unbelievable things in God's name. I'm pull myself together here. <clears throat> look back to Titus two, if you would. Verse eleven says God's grace has appeared, bringing salvation, redeeming us. Verse twelve says God's grace has appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness, reforming us. And now look in verse thirteen. God's grace has appeared as we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see in that verse, the third thing that grace does for us, grace rewards. Grace rewards. The reward is something that has not happened yet. It's something that we are waiting for. So there's a past, present, and future element going on in our verses this morning. We see the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. That happened in the past when Jesus came to redeem us. Then in the present, he trains us to renounce all forms of ungodliness and live for him. He reforms us. All the while, we are waiting for a future event when Jesus will appear again. When he will come in all his glory. That's how he will reward us. We will see him. We will be with him. We will become like him. So in the past... the gracious gracious gift of God is salvation. In the present, the gracious gift of God is sanctification, or becoming slowly transformed to be like Jesus. And in the future, the gracious gift of God is glorification, when we will see the glory of Jesus, and we ourselves will be glorified to be like him. So the word that I want to focus on in that verse is the word hope. While we are living our godly lives in this world and being transformed to be like Jesus, we are waiting for a blessed hope. Because Jesus is coming back. Because there's a promise that we will be with him for all of eternity so we can live our lives in the present full of hopefulness. Now, is that hope based upon our circumstances? Can you answer? No. Is that hope only happen when we are surrounded by really good friends who are upbeat and cheerful and, and lift us up all the time? Is that hope only present when we have a booming 401k, when we got a really good five year plan and it's coming together really well? We got that vacation coming up and it's going to be awesome? No. It's only dependent on what will happen for us in the future. Not at all dependent on what is happening in our present or what has happened in our past. Everything that is difficult in this life, temptations and sin and suffering and death and trials and and hardship, we have hope even in them because we know through Jesus, and through his grace, that they will all come to an end when Jesus comes again. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 8, starting in verse 18. He said, I consider that the the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, at the end. It will be made clear to all creation who have been the recipients of God's grace. Those who have chosen to believe and receive the grace of God and have been transformed in their actions and reformed to be more like Christ. And the reward will be an eternal connection, a relationship Literal, physical proximity to the Savior of the world in heaven, Jesus. As well as their own glorification. The sinful body will be no more. It will be discarded and replaced with a new body. Imagine then that this glove is your sinful body. It is tired and worn from a life lived in a fallen world, and and when it comes time for the end, it will be tossed aside. And a new, make sure I get a right glove, a new body will be given, one that you can then live for eternity without any pain, without any sin, without any suffering, in close relationship to the Savior. 2 Corinthians 5 says, We know that if the tent that is our earthly dwelling is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with human hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. There's hope in that verse. Now listen, you're not going to be rewarded someday because you've been a really good person. You're not going to be rewarded because you worked really hard in your job or that you served faithfully in a ministry or that you took care of your family or even that you've sacrificially served your country. Those things are all good things, things we should strive to do. They're commendable, but none of those things is what our eternal reward are based upon. It is all based on God's grace. The free gift of God. But remember, nothing is truly free. The redeeming, the reforming, the rewarding, all gifts of God's grace, paid for by Jesus. Worship team, would you come back up? Grace redeems. It is Jesus who paid the penalty for our sins. All we need to do is reach out and take it. Grace reforms through the transforming power of God. We will stand now with the ability to live out that grace in our lives. And grace rewards. Our new hope is that one day we will stand now literally before God. And in our Savior, be made new and be made glorified and receive our reward. Our passage today ends with these words that that Paul wrote to Titus. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. In other words, these things about God's grace are important. Remember, grace is for all people, including you. So renounce ungodliness and live expectantly with hope. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the free gift of your grace. We don't deserve it, can't earn it, and we understand it's not truly free. You paid for us by sending your son to the cross. May we be reformed through your spirit to live for you, and may we live with hope knowing that you are coming again.